Angels like synchronicity kick. Um, and uh, I last year I, I took a couple class or like yeah, I kind of got into the rhythm of it. I did a couple of hoop classes Ooh. and and I loved it. I just loved it. I had bruises just like all over my hips and my thighs and like my it was great and I loved it and um and I grew up dancing and I grew up doing yoga and and I and I've just I haven't been very active at all for the past couple of years and and so I I took a couple of these hoop classes and I was just like, this is amazing. And I just took to it really quickly. And, and, um, and then, you know, a bunch of other stuff happened and then I was broke for a while and <laughs> I, it, it kind of fell by the wayside. And recently I did, um, I did a performance, uh, or I did a reading slash kind of performance with a friend who is into kind of like rope and, and, and it's kind of, yeah, more on the kink side, but like rope and like shibari and like that kind of stuff. And, um, mm-hmm. And she also does hoop, and that kind of just kind of came back into my life. And now you're talking about silks, and <laughs> I think I think baby Jesus wants me to go exercise. Yes, all to say specifically <laughs> in the air on a big suspended like aluminum hoop. Oh, so good! I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. That's so you do silks. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm too scared. I well like when I when I started doing aerial it was on silks cuz I didn't like that was the only thing that I kind of knew about and the the place that I that I started taking classes at didn't ha- offer a whole lot they have expanded tremendously since then I the, we offer now or the we like I have any part of it the um um they let's see what do they offer uh multiple levels of skill or silk um multiple levels of lira different levels of trapeze there's a strappy loops class there is sear wheel there's german wheel um occasionally there is uh, rope yeah those things terrify me yeah I i like the idea of falling forward on your face but not yes so I like German wheel intrigues me, but terrifies me. And sear wheel looks like it's a, a whole lot of fun, but I hate spinning, which is why I don't like, I don't do Lyra or strappy loops or any of the other things because a huge component, or at least from what I've seen, a huge component of that is spin. And I can't, mm-hmm. I can't do it. I get dizzy real easily and it's not a, it's not a good time for me. Um, but what about like when you're like unwrapping from silks and stuff, like, there's some spin there. Yeah, but when for like windmills and stuff, it's really, really controlled. So it's and it's not mm. a like, um, I don't know. Well, yeah. So for windmills, it's it's much more, or it can be much more controlled. But if if you're doing like a double star or something like that, it's it's at most maybe a rotation or a rotation and a half or maybe two rotations. But that's it. Like you just you unravel and you stop. Mm-hmm. Instead of being on a lira and, you know, you spin and then you, as you're spinning, get up into another technique and then get out into a technique and slow down the spin and then pull yourself in tight. And I, I just, I can't. Stuff like that, I just can't do it. So when I saw the rest of the apparatuses that were there that I had at my disposal and I saw that the most of the rest of them had spin, I was like, I'm just going to stick with silks. Um just, oh, keep, man. just keep doing that for like six years. That's, wow, that's so cool! You must be awesome at it. Don't scare the hell out of me. I'm like, I, I can't, I can't rely on 
this foot wrap to save me. I can't. Like, I, I can't and I won't. <laughs> I don't know. I, th- like, I like the... I like the fact that the apparatus, or that, like, because the apparatus stays kind of in one spot, all the dynamicism that you do in routine or whatever has to be kind of come from you. Mm -hmm. Um, Versus other apparatuses where you are essentially, like Lyra and stuff, like, you are essentially, well, at least from my understanding of her, the way that I've I've seen it utilized. I know that there are other ways that it can be done, but... um, at least it seems like for me traditionally that with Lyra, like there you you can do maneuvers and techniques into certain positions, but the positions are really the thing that you hold and you luxuriate yeah. in, and like that's the thing. But because the body, like when you're in a position, it, the body is static. The apparatus itself has to be more dynamic, which feels like it's flipped with silks. That silks don't really move; they're just the static you know, very long point that you can be on. So everything that happens in there has to be body driven. And I feel like the, 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 the pathway into in between techniques, um, plays a a bigger role that, you know, like there, there are things that you can do sort of in motion from one point to another that can look cool versus, Right. And Lyra, you can do that too, but it feels like it's it's mostly, you know, it's like you're moving from sort of like position to position to position, whereas with silks, yeah, there's a little bit... Yeah, it's about the transition. Yeah, it's like, you, and I'm actually, the class that I've been taking for the last, geez, maybe like two, two years, maybe a little bit longer than that, um, mm-hmm. has been focusing on the transitions from a thing to another thing, um, which has been a whole lot of fun figuring out yeah. that, like, we, we just did... Um, a pathway from a hip key into a single leg belay, which was like, oh, this is cool. If I want to be in a leg belay and I'm in a hip key, I can like I can follow a path to get there. And there's a couple of really weird spots, bet- like in transit, that you can stop and you can have fun with and make shapes with. But yeah, I I love it. I actually the reason that I started was that I um was feeling super super disconnected from my body, which is part of like a, a much bigger saga um and i was looking for a way to try to reconnect and i had done a little bit of yoga and that was kind of in a direction but i was like i want something a little more active than that um and it came down to either martial arts again or aerial uh like circus art stuff and mm-hmm. i'd done taekwondo for years and years when i was younger and then again yeah. in in undergrad um and I was like, I think I'm ready for, I think I'm ready for something different. Um, so I, I started taking classes, I think in like November of 2013. Um, and, uh, that has been like the ma- a major, uh, uh, touchstone and like, um, what's the word? It has been a constant in my life from, um, 20 like the very end of 2013 to now oh wow oh wow that's yeah that's really that's really cool and also like it's interesting that you sorry i'm back on the synchronicity kick no, again no, no, it's go interesting for it. you say, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you say 2017 or 2013 i was just thinking earlier uh, okay sorry 
I'm going to backtrack into like a weird tangent here. Go so for last it. night I went to go see um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. And have you seen it? No, not yet. Well, I, I, I say not yet. I probably won't see it until it shows up on a, online somewhere on a streaming site. Um, but anyway. Um, oh, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a film major. Um, <laughs> I'm a creator, or I, I have my master's in film. And um, so I went to go see it. Uh, I went to go see a 70 millimeter print of it and just Ooh. drooled drooled the whole time. But um, but um, so in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I also grew up in Los Angeles, and so like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was just this and and this kind of love letter to American cinema and uh, to um, the end of a, an era and mm-hmm. I th- an end of an era of innocence, both kind of politically as well as cinematically as well as creatively at the time, and yada yada yada, and it takes place basically like where I went to school and where I lived and and you know there's a little bit of like the Sharon Tate like Marilyn or not Marilyn <laughs> Charles Manson um thing there and that's just such a big part of like Los Angeles lore and I had mm. a best friend growing up who just got so into the Manson murders um and I just remember going um hiking through the canyons and you can I think uh if you hike into Laurel Canyon she took me to a spot where uh, a lot of the Manson compound is still uh, just oh, like the foundational parts are still there. Yeah, and um, she's yeah she's doing weird shit like that. And now she does performance art, and I love her. But um, <laughs> but uh, so I'm watching this movie, and I'm just like sitting there loving it, and um, and my uh, so there's a part in the film where uh, Brad Pitt's Pitbull shows up and this and that and there's a bunch of articles about how the dog steals the show but i won't <laughs> tell you more about it and the dog's name is brandy and so last year so going back to so last year i lost my grandmother and my dog brandy at the same time or within months of one another um oh, man. yeah and grandma was uh grandma was kind of the most solid part of of my childhood she was the the most stable part of my childhood and brandy was the most stable thing about my adulthood um i had her for exactly 10 years i had her i got her uh in 2008 the day before thanksgiving and she died in 2018 the day before thanksgiving Jesus, Um, right isn't that crazy and um and this and uh and so yesterday I'm, i'm watching the movie and the dog shows up and and it's it she looks like my dog and her name is brandy and i just i'm like I'm, I'm gonna cry again talking about. It. I'm just like, oh, of course, um, you know. And it's my uh, a friend of mine had called. He had seen the movie prior, and he called and he was like, dude, Brandy's in the movie, and she saves the day. And I'm like, what? Okay, I'm gonna go see it. Um, <laughs> and uh, and and I was just like, of course, like my dog shows up in in a Tarantino love letter to Los Angeles and to filmmaking and to movies and. And I just, I, I don't know, I just, I, I left feeling very, like, uh, very, like, oh, hey, wow, like, these, like, this kind of this idea of, like, these huge cycles, um, these, like, huge cycles and, 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 like, points of, like, contact between, like, themes over, like, large periods of time. And mm. I'm kind of relating this back to, like, how you were saying that, you know, something happened in which you felt disconnected to your body um, in 2013. And here we are, like what, seven, seven years later, seven, eight, seven, almost, almost seven years later. Yeah. Um, and like, and 
And I was also having another conversation with a friend, a different friend, about how, about that, about how, like, the body regenerates itself every seven years, and how we're completely different people every seven years, and how, uh, between 2013 and, and now, I've, like, my life has just gone through this like huge overhaul that essentially culminated. I mean, it, it, I feel like it just, it wiped out, like my, my slate has been completely wiped clean. Um, and I think about that and I think about body and I think about just kind of returns and, and I am rambling, but is any of this making any sense? No. Yeah. That like, which, I mean, the, I feel like that's a really, I, I feel like that's a very generous and very like, beautiful way to look at time um that i feel like i don't know i i feel like so much of the the depiction of time maybe specifically in in western culture feels like it's this like long linear stretch that Mm -hmm. is essentially you have to slog through and it you know like it is it starts at a point it ends at a point and that's you know like your life your time that's that's the view of it or that's the extent of it um, but to view, to view time as cycles and to view those mm-hmm. cycles as potentially or hopefully regenerative cycles that, you know, mm-hmm. like they're in the idea that given enough time that like we are physically renewed and physically different than the people that we were, you know, it's like seven years ago and, yeah. and, the, and that view of that um i don't know like putting you in a in a position of achieving maybe maybe not necessarily redemption but the um the ability to to start new or to start fresh or to to sloth off the weight and the the just shit that you've been carrying around that's keeping you heavy and weighed down and like you can you can get rid of that and yeah or at least like lighten the load a bit so so that you know like there's there's shit that you don't need to be carrying around anymore and that can be just it can be part of the natural process of you know and i guess on the the other side of it too the idea that um that maybe things that you don't necessarily want to give up but just because of the flow of time it's like they just kind of get worn away and you know you're left with uh, like people who have who have listened to the podcast before um know how enamored i am with the idea of like internal landscapes and things things happening in your life that become fixtures on that landscape um hmm. and the idea that like over time the the things in your landscape can erode and can change and that it's not a static thing it can't be a static thing because you know you change and your emotions change and your internal life changes and therefore the internal landscape has to change too and just just that you know over time things will be worn down or things will be lost or things will be separated from you and that's just like that's part of the process that's how you know it's like that's how moving forward means that you know like that like you will be worn upon and yeah. Um, when I was in uh, grad school, I took a, a class at a local, um, like pretty well-known arts college, um, and we dipped into um, like the Japanese concept of uh, wabi-sabi a little bit. Yes. 
um, which I instantly fell in love with. And that idea of like, if you are, if you are kept pristine or kept perfect, you are, you know, like in this state of not being acted upon by time, you are static and you are dead. Yeah. That yeah. like to be to be severed from the process of time is to be dead, and to to see that there is beauty in things being used and being worn and being like especially decomposing. Right. Yeah, and it's like you you see the marks of life on that, and that's on hey. on these these things. You know, like uh, I one of the um, one of the examples that always comes to mind for me in thinking about wabi sabi is. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of B.B. Uh, King's guitar, like the guitar that he used for years and years and years. And it's all like beat up and there's, you know, like the, the woods worn through in a couple of spots where he always had his, he kept his fingers and, you know, like there's just, there's marks on it and stuff. But to see that and to see that there was however many some odd years of, of playing and of, of you know just being used in that in that instrument it's like that's a really gorgeous thing to be able to, yeah. to have this artifact of like this has been like this has had a life just like everyone has had a life this is this is right. this has made its way through life and the, you know like using a thing until you can't use it anymore and then like thanking it essentially you know like thanking it for its service and then like letting it letting it move on to whatever it is next. Yeah, whatever it's, its next form is, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And doesn't that also kind of tie in with, like, the, the Japanese idea of, like, uh, kintsugi, right? Is that, is that how you say it? Like, the, um, where they, um, where they, it's, like, fixing, fixing broken items. Oh, yeah, gold. with glass. I mean, not with glass, yeah. with gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, with, um, it's, I think it's, yeah, it's, like, if there's pottery something that, that shatters, they will, um, like, mold it back together. Yeah. But they will yeah. accentuate the shatter points because, you know, yeah, that, that, that there's there's some, it, there's value or there's a, um, I don't know, and it, maybe maybe not value, but appreciation of of these things. And it's not it's not a thing to be hidden. It's a thing to be, you know, like celebrated. It's like this is broke, but I put it back together. And you know, like look, um, yeah, yeah, look at the life this is. Look at this little path that this has taken. Look at. You know, I mean, it's a scar story. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah. I, I, I love it. And, and look at how it's transformed me. You know. Yeah. Well, it also makes me think of, um, like Marie Kondo and her, her whole method of like tidying up. Like the, the sort of basis of it is that, does this thing, like, still give you the joy that it did? And if the answer is no, it's like that's not a bad thing. It's just, I mean, it could, it could be sad, but it's just you know like times have changed and maybe you just don't need these things anymore because yeah. your life is different and to let them go is to is to acknowledge that you are in a different place and to acknowledge that you are like you're different and to acknowledge and it's honoring them too right it's, right it's... yeah yeah it's like they they serve the role that they were meant to serve and now they can you know like they can move on and maybe yeah. you know it's like if you if you donate them or you know, it's like give them to a charity or give them to like a thrift store or something. It's like there's a life that they can they can have beyond. Or you know, it's like I I have a tremendous number of books that I need to go through and whittle down. Um, actually, this is it. Kind of makes me think of um, 
a sh major shift in revision that I I had, or the way that I viewed revision years ago, of the idea that like, if a line doesn't work in a poem, it doesn't mean it's a bad line. I mean, it might be, but it can be a really killer line. It just doesn't work in the poem. So mm -hmm. you just like you cut it out of that poem and you put it someplace else, and maybe totally. You know, maybe there's a poem that will grow up around that particular line. Maybe it's just a really good line that will lead you to another idea or something. But that I, the idea that like, it's it doesn't work in this space, so you can move it to another space and give it the life, like I can the continued life that it wants to have. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I've definitely pulled poems out of lines that I've put aside. I don't know, like months to like years oh ago. yeah um, and yeah totally um and it's such a cool feeling because it's like you're also looking at that i mean you're looking at that line much later after you've experienced things differently and so those words take on different meaning and they oh, still yeah. and while still holding on to kind of what their original meaning was and and so there's that journey too and yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I feel like since we've been talking for about 20 minutes and we've dipped, <laughs> begun dipping into poetry stuff, um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce the episode. Um, okay, all right. So thank you everyone for jo for joining uh, me and my guest Christine. Um, this is uh, season four, episode seven of So Poetry, um, and the my guest uh, is Christine No, um, who is a Korean immigrant, or she's the daughter of Korean immigrants as well as a Sundance alum, uh, Vona Fellow, two-time Pushcart Prize nominee, which is awesome, um, the best of the Net nominee, uh, producer by day, also cat herder by day. Um, and word nerd by night, uh, Christina served as, as the assistant editor, or features editor of uh, for the Rumpus, and a board member uh, with Quiet Lightning, a Bay Area literary nonprofit dedicated to creating a platform and community uh, for writers and artists. Uh, you can find her poetry and essays in the Rumpus, Entropy, Columbia Journal, Harpoon Review, uh, Story Magazine, Sparkle. Is it Sparkle plus Blink or Sparkle Blink? Sparkle and blink. Sparkle and blink. Okay, I can never feel like when there's the plus. I I can never I never know the right way to say, whatever. Uh, Vagabond Spitty, uh, Apogee, Atlas and Alice, and various anthologies. Uh, Christine believes in the power of radical vulnerability, which is tremendous. That's so fucking cool. Um, and that uh, art is a reminder that uh, we can only get through this together. Uh, she lives in Oakland, and California. Uh, and online, um, so go say hi to her at christineno.com or at IamChristineNo, and that's both your Twitter and your Instagram, right? Yeah. Okay. That's just my internet address thing. <laughs> is it is it weird? I don't know if I've I don't think I've ever asked anybody this before, but is it weird having like a a Twitter handle or a an Instagram handle that is your name versus like some other um, I don't know, like pseudonym that you come up with? I mean, you know, do you remember like when I feel like I'm like an older millennial and like at that like cusp, you know, when I, I like we got internet 
when I was in my, I, mean, I got my first like desktop computer when I was in maybe the fifth grade. Yeah, and it feels so, about the same time. That, right, so it's like we yeah. remember time before internet. We remember like the Dewey Decimal System and shit. Right? Oh yeah, and those like, fucking AOL uh, CDs, fucking oh, AOL like, floppies. Do you remember those? Yeah, you know. It's funny, speaking of floppies, like when people are saving their work now. Yes! They're like, yes! what is that box? Yes! <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean, what is that box? That's like, uh, never mind. <laughs> uh, there is, <laughs> I think about that so often, just like I think about, um, a friend of mine told me the story a couple of years ago, which makes me feel even older now, that he, he was on some like local street, and he saw a friend of his in the lane next to him, so he did the, like, the pantomime of like rolling down the window, and his friend rolled down the window and they chatted at a red light and the light changed and they drove off. And my friend was with his, I want to say his nephew. And his nephew turned to him as the, after, you know, a little bit and asked, he was like, why, what was that motion that you did to, that got the guy to roll down the window? And my friend was like, oh my fucking God. Oh my God. Yeah, you're right. Because nobody does that anymore. No, no one has manual wind unless you have a car from like the mid nineties. Oh my god, I'm just thinking of like a Geo Metro, and then like you roll it too high, and <laughs> it pops off in your hand, and you're like, "Hey, sorry, it popped off in my hand." And you give it back to the driver, and you awkwardly leave. <laughs> oh man, yeah, but I've I've thought about the like the save symbol on almost yeah. like every platform that I use is the little, um, is the like disc icon. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Yeah, and it's like, it's like, I, I think, do you think maybe we just can't let it go? Maybe like, <laughs> they'll like redo the, I don't know, interface later down the line. They'll be like, what is this? This makes no sense. But I like, mean, I think we're maybe still holding on to that. <laughs> I mean, probably, but I, can't, I honestly can't think of like, what would be a, another good um, like iconograph for, or iconogram, I don't know, whatever, whichever those is the correct term, if either yeah. one of those is the correct term. But what would be a better, like, visual for saving? I don't know, maybe, like, a, the cl a cloud? Oh! Right? Or, like, I, I mean, maybe a cloud is for something else, but, like, you know, I think that's what people think, like, oh, it's, it's just going to fly up into the sky and be saved up there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like if, if there's a shift from like local saving to cloud saving, like that push that, you know, like computers no longer have the ability to save on their, on their own hard drives. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, that that would probably be an appropriate, appropriate visual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I feel like more and more it is. Like everyone works on living documents on like Google Drive. Like yeah. I, I still save things to my desktop because I just, I like the idea of it. I mean, it's not that ones and zeros are real in my <laughs> computer, but like, I, you know, I like the idea that my computer is this is this folder thing that has papers in it. Um, yeah, I, I never, I just, just take me back to 1997 and let's just stay there. <laughs> using uh, um, those AOL discs. Oh yeah, and I was gonna say using pencils to rewind cassettes. Oh yes. And pencils in general, I love pencils. I still, I, I am a pencil fanatic, and I, and I like paper. <laughs> so okay, so this, this is a good, this is a good transition into some more poetry talk. Um, okay. When you, when you compose or when you write poetry, do you write physically on a piece of paper first and then type it up, or do you like, do you type it, 
like is is there a different process for different like do things feel do certain poems feel for you like they need to be physically written and other ones feel like they they want to be typed or like how does that work for you it's really um it it really depends um i use like i i don't really have like a set i carry a notebook around of course i have my like my phone on Mm me um and when something comes to mind like they usually come in like i don't know spurts of like phrases or images and it's whatever i can grab fastest to to record that okay feeling first so if it's a piece of paper if it's my journal i'll reach for that um if it's my like phone i'll use um like my notes thing on Mm -hmm. my phone sometimes i'll just like record it into like a voice message if i'm driving um and you know like we were talking about scraps of work or scraps of lines that don't work and things like that like i I collect scraps everywhere (laughs) Um, i've started poems on like i've started poems on the uh my status bar in in facebook (laughs) i've started writing something and i'm like wait a minute that's a poem we're gonna move this over here because it's too much information for facebook (laughs) and yeah um I, but I mean, I think that kind of also speaks to how disorganized I am as a person. <laughs> um, but yeah, everywhere. I write on my mirror. I write, um, I have, yeah, I have dry erase markers everywhere. I write on my mirror. I write on my window. Um, I used to write on my bathroom tile. <laughs> um, it's just like whenever, because I also, I, I forget things very uh, quickly. And so I feel like if I don't write them down, mm-hmm. I won't remember them. And I, I definitely won't remember them. And how many times have you been like laying in bed at night and you're like, oh, I should write this down. No, I'll remember the next oh. morning. And you're like, Damn it, what was that? <laughs> it has gotten to the, I mean, this hasn't happened to me in a, in a fairly long time, but it, it, it got to the point where I had a string of maybe, you know, separated by a handful of months each time that I would, I would have an idea or I would have an image right as I was falling asleep and I wouldn't want to get up to go write it down. I'm like, oh, I'll remember. And I wouldn't remember in the morning. And it got to the point where oh. it, that happened to me often enough that the, I want to say the last handful of times that it, it happened, there was that internal struggle, but the, there was a part of me, maybe higher consciousness part of me that's like, you better, like you were going to get out of this fucking bed and go write down this thing because you there have been too many times that you have thought like you just you just it just goes and you just let it go mm-hmm. and that's a poem yeah. that you could have written and you didn't yeah. you fucker go yeah. write this down now yeah and it's like the universe is like listen do i really have to hold your hand through this right yeah <laughs> <Get up. laughs> but that's that's a really cool concept to have like the i don't know like the entire world really is is your surface is your generative surface of for composing a poem yeah that's an interesting way of looking at it i mean like i don't know i feel like that could have translated into like me like packing bathrooms but but (laughs) i've never really done that maybe i should start doing that i should start writing on other people's bathrooms yes yeah just have um and then oh fuck that would be you have like you could take a pic like photos of it and then compose a like artist book of poetry compiled from those photos of oh, crazy. of you writing it also and then you could like send people on scavenger hunts to try to track that shit down. Oh, that's so crazy. Hey, that's a that's a that's an Instagram account right there, isn't it? <laughs> 
It is now. <laughs> you just wait. I'm going to get in so much trouble. They're going to be like, please stop writing on our bathroom walls. Wow. I, I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like more bathrooms need poetry. Right. Right. I love reading things on bathroom walls. I do. Like, the things that people... I mean, and it's always... I feel like things that people write on bathroom walls are usually declarations of love or or not love, but but mostly love, you know? Interesting. Like, yeah, like, I don't... What, what moves you while, while going to the bathroom to write that? Right, because it's like, it's it's one of the few, similar to like taking a, a like being in the shower, it's one of the few times of the, times of the day that you are like, you physically can't move until you're done. So you're just kind of stuck there. And... <laughs> Like your mind, it's one of those moments where your mind, if, you, if you're not engaged in your phone, that your mind is allowed to just kind of wander and be like, oh, I don't know, like, what was that dream that I had this morning? Or like, oh, that tile kind of looks like a piece of ravioli. And then you write right. that on a bathroom wall. Right. Or you like make the bathroom tile a little ravioli. <laughs> Art is everywhere. Yes. Well, that was like thinking... One of the one of the guests that I had, oh, I don't know, a season ago, maybe two seasons ago, um, was the uh, head of the MFA program that I graduated from, and we were talking about poetry. And I don't know how this how this came up, but she said something along the lines that for her, poetry is not really a thing that she does. It's more a way of life or like a state of being for her. Um, mm-hmm. So that it's not that like. She she's always in a state, or she's trying to cultivate this state of of li- essentially living her life as poetry. Uh, I also apologize for the siren, um, and I think a couple of the motorcycles that you heard earlier. Um, I live no right next <laughs> right next to a fairly busy street. Uh, but anyway, but yeah, that idea that like that poetry is a sort of all the time full body thing that you do, and just the knitting that to the idea of like wherever you are and whatever it is that you are doing when the the mood or the inspiration strikes you to write a poem like you have things accessible to you that you can do that and it's you know like you can put it someplace um, right right and there's always like a, yeah there's a platform for it everywhere yeah. and also again the idea of poetry as a, a way of being and as a it's, it, it, it reminds me of two things. Like one, the, um, my mentor, my poetry mentor and just friend and amazing human being, um, Dana Levin, um, really turned me on to poetry and like started me on this journey in college. Uh, used to always say that poetry and other works of art are, are autonomous. Like they know what they want. Like your, your, mm. your words and your story knows where it wants to go and it, mm-hmm. it knows that it wants to be told. And, and your job as as writer, as artist, is to is to shepherd that story and and guide it to where it it dictates. You can't force its hand, or else it's just going to come out shit. Yep. Um, yeah, and it's like, yep. and and it's it's I like that that is I feel like that's our job. And also, you know, the idea of like poetry. I I think poetry is a is, I mean, and especially for me because I'm just. I, I I'm I'm otherwise like a, a rambly kind of like just tangential just awkward weirdo when it comes to conversation. So like any poetry helps me like uh, it, it it's a way of seeing it, it's a way of like seeing things day to day right mm-hmm. and it's also a way of kind of communicating and explaining 
to one another, like the way that we're seeing our reality and the way that we're seeing beauty and, and, and yeah, I, I think that it's an exercise in sight and it's like an exercise in like, like we're like, it's like an antenna and an amplifier, you know, it's like pirate radio. <laughs> oh yeah. That's a, wow. That's a really good Our bodies to... are pirate radio poetry. I think that's <laughs> Yeah. Cause I like, I don't know how other poets, I mean, I've been doing a, a podcast talking to poets and poet adjacent people for years now, but I still don't have a good, <laughs> a good sense of um, how other poets like generate their poetry because for me it, it feels a lot of times it feels like there are processes that are happening like creative processes that are happening internally in me that I don't have conscious access to like things are things are under the surface and they're kind of churning and like shit's percolating and it's it's gestating and then suddenly it'll just sort of like pop up oh. mostly complete you know they're the, and then it feels oh. like there is this I don't know, this like image that's there and my job is to essentially take Windex or some sort of like polish and polish the image so that the image manifests more and more and more as I'm as I'm polishing it. But that's what writing really feels like to me that like which would kind of correlate with the like your the shepherding image that that like I am not even though you could say that the poem had its genesis in me. It's like it is its own thing and it kind of knows where it wants to go and my job isn't so much the creation and writing of it. It is more of the just sort of moving things out of its way or into its way to get it to where it ultimately wants to be. Um, right, right. Because I think it's like it's also like a a poem is also an amalgamation of experience right so it's not like this one solid thing that plops out and says this is what i am it's like <laughs> it's like this this world that 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 you call from an experience you had in middle school or mm -hmm. a boy you loved last year um or you know the time you spent three weeks in the desert and how those evenings felt like and they all kind of come together into this like expression of this this feeling that 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 has kind of that, that glows from those that that pile right yeah oh and yeah like and yeah i i don't know i, I just kind of got lost in that metaphor there <laughs> um so how like is there is there a particular way that you feel like poetry is utilized for you or that that you personally employ it or is there is there multiple things that you that you use it for and use it through like, I don't know if that, uh, if that question makes sense. Uh, yeah, uh, I, well, I will. I, I <laughs> um, um, the way, I mean, I, I started writing poetry in high school as a high school girl, you know, um, I was writing poetry about, I don't know, like boys and, uh, taking pictures of her feet, like that quote from Lost in Translation, but, um, um, yeah, I just it it was it, poetry has always been a way of, um, it's been it's 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 always been a very like personal thing. It's always been a a way of kind of turning uh, feeling and experience and sight into into kind of a narrative of sorts or into just making it a little more manageable. Um, I'm a huge feeler, 
and I always have been. So it's just kind of this like explosion of, of, of feeling and emotion and thought and, and how do I channel that into something that actually makes sense for myself? And, hmm. and that kind of turned more, I mean, and that kind of became, okay, so like, what is the craft of this? And what is the, and, and, and then I fell in love and then here <laughs> I am, but, but still poetry is like a very, it's a very kind of personal cathartic at the end of the day. Like it's, it's really a personal exercise for me. It's really a storytelling for myself. It's, it's, it's that. And yeah. <laughs> Hmm. I don't know. Does, did I answer that right? No. Yeah. No. I mean, there's not. There's not a. There's not a right answer to that question. Um, but no. I, I. Yeah. I mean, that that makes sense to me. That it's so for you. It's it's a. It's, it's like a big walking journal. Right. Yeah. It's like it's it's a way for you to like organize as a, as a journal would that you would use to organize your thoughts about things. Poetry is a way to organize your like feelings about stuff. Right. And feelings kind of that have that not about like any like feelings and like not a, a specific. Right. Yes. One feeling, but it's like the feeling that came out of these 90 feelings or these 90 things. Or, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes. Whenever I listen. OK, uh, this is going to be it, it's going to win me a couple of dork points here. But um <laughs> When I listen, like when I, I, I've, I've seen like Taylor Swift talk about, yes, I said Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> I, I hear all these things about how like, you know, like Taylor Swift dated this guy and then wrote this song about him and blah, blah, blah. And it's a thing. And then, you know, and these interviews with this, this, this pop star and she's like, well, I'm never going to talk about who it actually was. Um, I think, and then you listen to, and I mean, that got me really interested because I'm, because I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, a lot of people do that. Um, and so I started listening to her lyrics, and I'm just like, hey, this is like, it's 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 confessional poetry. Right, yeah. Taylor it's like, Swift is writing confessional poetry. Yeah, it's like, it's it's the process of of working through, like, what's, it, it's like poetry is the sort of, um, uh, what's the, there's an image that's coming to mind that's being difficult. So it's like, if you had a, like a chemical reaction, and the reaction is navigating the process of like emotions or feelings or an experience, like some sort of emotional, not in a like uppercase emotional experience, but just an experience that, that, that hits you in the emotions. Um, and poetry would be the sort of like, if, if it's an exothermic reaction, like the process would be the heat and then the poetry would be the sort of like whatever it is that's left over after that, it, that, uh, experiment or that uh, whatever that process chemical reaction happens um, right. it's like it's the byproduct of it yeah it's like alchemizing feeling into word yes. or feeling into explanation or something um, yeah I'm writing Just that cool. down and I'm going to post <laughs> that on my wall Wee! oh I love that I write things down and put them on my wall too <laughs> or I print things out I'm always like oh, I'm going to print this out <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's because that's that's really what it. Yeah, that that you, yeah, you're turning. Which yeah, I guess would would be because. Like, it is so much easier for me when I'm, when I have, like some sort of internal emotional experience. It's so much easier for me to put that emotion emotional experience directly into music than it is into words or poetry. Um, cool. Because it really does, and the way that I was thinking about it 
is or the way that I used to think about or had thought about up until now is that with like feelings or emotions into music, it feels like it's direct transposition. Like I can pick it up from one from my emotions and place it into music essentially wholesale and it works. Whereas with with writing it feels like it, it has to go through some level of translation. And there's always something that is lost in that act. But the like thinking of it as alchemy also works in that regard that it's like you were taking a thing and changing it into sort of another form. And yeah. in that change, you know, it's like an adaptation or an adaptation. That's like there is a that poetry is this is the is the language adaptation of feelings. And there's some things that work out great with that and other things that are like, eh, you know, eh, it's okay. It doesn't really get exactly what I was going for, but this is as close as I can get. And this is the medium I have to work with. And, you know, that's how. Oh, sorry. No, no, that that was, that was the end of it. Yeah. And you know, like, and and I mean, like, it's like the translation of feeling, feeling and emotion, but also like a, like a, a, um, what is the word? Um, also a translation of our physical feeling too and our physical and, and mm. sight I, I keep going back to sight um i read this uh bonica peel poem last night um from her book schizophrene and it's um it was i was just like passing through at a bookstore and i just picked up and looked at it and went hey this is really cool and i kept going but um but she writes about how she's <clears throat> she writes about how she's like it's this little piece and she's talking about she's looking at nature and she's pointing out these trees and this view and um and she's kind of just listing the things that she sees and then the poem in the end kind of spits back this this kind of beautiful translation of or expression of of that that feeling and that that scene and and then and then the, the speaker says something along the lines of like, sometimes, you know, what I get back is so much, is so much more than what I am able to like put out there or, or to throw out or to, you know, and, ah. and, and like, so her sight, her, her you know, the, the speaker seeing into the world is, is, is what she's giving or is, is, is one action is one directional, right. Mm -hmm. And is one expression. Her sight is an expression. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and then her, and then it's like, she's giving an identity to essentially her, her metaphor, her kind of translation of what she's seeing. Right. And, and, but she's giving that a separate identity and she's saying like, the world is giving that back to me. Wow. Um, you know, and, and I was like, Damn, that is so true. Like what we see, and then the what the world gives back, you know, in whatever words that come to us, it's 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 so much better. Yeah. Always, you know, and and and. Yeah, which which would also correlate back to the idea that like the the poetry is its or art expression whatever is its own sort of autonomous thing that it's it's a thing that is that is gifted to you that is in and of itself its own entity to in it right. in an extent right 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 which yeah. also in like an interesting way sort of like makes it a lot more i don't know maybe not democratic but it sort of like alleviates your own or your claim to um like ownership over it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Um, which I guess in a weird way is, you know, it's like that you, you have expressions and you have emotions, but they're not, I mean, they are yours, but they're not necessarily like yours. Maybe. I don't know. This is, uh, this is brand new thoughts that I'm going to have to think about. (laughs) It's like, it's like yours, like as in a, a yeah, it's like yours for, it's like yours for the, it's like yours and it's yours for the world and it's the world for you. Right. Like, or like, it's, it's this, yeah. And it's, and you're right. It's, it's something that is hard to, I think writing a poem also kind of, uh, curating an order of of poetry, um, whether it be in a book or, uh, you know, when you're preparing for like a a reading, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and just kind of creating that like, ecosystem or this like the the larger narrative that you want to share in that in in that time frame or in in between between pages um i think that's like a whole other thing too it's like i think that has its own you know once you have a pile of this work you start seeing the arc and Mm -hmm. the arc has created itself because all that work is autonomous and it's that arc is also going to tell you like what the story is yeah Um, oh yeah and that's like as a um as an editor, that has gotten easier, I think, over time to be able to to see to like to initially to know that there is some arc or something happening in in the assemblage of that work, and then being able to like I kind of like I think that this is a quote attributed to Michelangelo, but the idea that like the sculpture is in the stone already it's like you're you're just you're the work that you were doing is unearthing a thing that already exists in in there and i feel like that when i whenever i try to order like i just uh maybe a month or two ago uh worked on a um figuring out the order to um a a manuscript um not not my own somebody that my my press is is publishing but Mm -hmm. um but sitting with it and knowing it's like knowing going into it that there is some some story or some some order that this thing wants to have and then just trying to figure out like doing what i can in service to figuring out what that order is or doing doing what i can in service to allow that order to manifest um right which is a weird like it's an art in itself. Yes. And it also, like, it's, it feels, so this, this is, going back to the, the revision um, sort of revelation that I had a few years ago, in mm-hmm. which that, like, taking a line, a line not working in a poem doesn't mean the line sucks. It's just, you know, it just doesn't work in that poem. But that, like, taking a much more, like, intimate and quiet and conversational relationship with your with your art or with, you know, specifically with poetry in revision, that's, you know, it's like, you really need to be able to hear it. You need to be able to sense where it is that it wants to go and then move your ego aside enough to allow to like, to work towards that end instead of where you want it to go. Um, right. And I feel like on a, on a little bit larger scale, larger organizational scale, similarly with manuscripts that there is like that, that positioning or that that order or that arrangement that this thing wants to have and it's like being able to sit with it and to kind of hear it and to to have that like like intimate relationship with this thing where you're you can you know it well enough that like oh okay this this is where this wants to go i think 
But if that goes there, then this is kind of the, what wants to follow. And then, oh, there's the arc. Okay, now I can kind of figure, you know. Yeah, and it's like if I follow it with this one, what is it saying about the one that I put in three like three pages ago? Yeah. And what does that say about this whole section in the middle here? It's like a sick album. Yes. It's like when you listen to like a perfect freaking album and you're like, this is it. Like nobody, I feel like it's so hard to find good albums anymore. Maybe people are kind of turning back to it. Um, but like, it just... Yeah, an album from beginning to end. Um, I mean, yeah. like I, I used to, I used to listen to Neutral Moco Tells in an airplane over the sea, mm-hmm. and I would not be able to finish that album without sobbing by the end of it. Like, you know, just the the the, the compilation of these pieces together as a art form. I, I also think is the sequencing and the ordering. I think is such a like and yeah. I mean, oh yeah. God. Well, that's like, (laughs) I think, I mean, I feel like with the advent of like iTunes and Spotify and, and I mean, I think that it was, it happened with, with iTunes or sort of like MP3 media players and then has continued with, with Spotify is the idea that like, or even, you know, like SoundCloud and Bandcamp and stuff too, the, the idea that like you can push out individual songs and have a following and not necessarily need to craft an album or even if you do craft an album that like people can just can take what they want from it mm-hmm. and it's not mm-hmm. like the which i guess is a sort of a deconstruction of the idea of like the album or like a poetry collection or whatever that you know that it's the the smallest unit isn't the like isn't the book or the album anymore the smallest unit would be an individual song from that album that just you know that it was placed there intentionally but you know it's kind of it's whatever as a as a consumer you can just you can take what it is that you want but right. yeah that's i i tend to i tend to read at least the first time that i read through poetry collections i i i read through them front cover to back cover initially because i feel like 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 you're saying, it's like there's an order, there's a specificity of, of, or a reason why these things are placed where they are, you know, why one poem happens and then five poems later, this other poem happens. Um, and I would like to experience it that way. Although I have gotten into the habit that if I'm reading through a poetry collection and I be like, it's, I'm, my interest is, is waning at some point. Um, I will read it backwards to forwards. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and for whatever reason, it's a lot easier for me to see the like the arc of like what's happening in the collection if I go backwards. Um, I don't know why. Even if even if it's my very first time reading a collection and I go I start backwards and m- go move my way forward, I can, it's like oh okay, I understand. Like I get I can see the logic of the thing. Whereas if I was reading it front to back, I don't know. If I it would take me probably a handful of times before that stuff started like making sense. I remember in high school my like art teacher would have us uh like whatever we were working on like let's say a painting Mm -hmm. she would have us flip it over after a while and work on it upside down because then you start seeing it in in different ways and you just like the the perspective and the shapes of things change and and um i think about that a lot when when i think about manuscripts yeah you know how do i flip this upside down how do i you know how do i look at it in a different way and yeah totally have have your so the manuscripts that I've that I've worked on, um, I tend to get a sense of where it ends and where it begins, and then it's just, or like the start and the end, and then it's a matter of just kind of like connecting that line. 
when you've worked mm-hmm. on manuscripts, does that does it manifest that way for you, or does does like each individual thing have its own sort of navigational path that you have to chart? Um. Hmm. So like, uh, is this kind of like do I when I work on a manuscript, do I go into it kind of knowing what the arc of it is? is or yeah, or just like do you for the manuscripts that, that you've worked on and 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 putting in or like collections that you've worked on putting into order and arranging like has there been a a like sort of a process that that has been more or less the same throughout the ones you've worked on or has each each version of of arranging a collection has it been different for you um it's well i can really speak to the collection that i have now which is kind of my first full length and that one was really just like I, I piled everything up that I had written mm-hmm. um, and and then kind of put it in like an order that I mean, it was it it was it was actually it was really hard for me to be objective enough to to arrange it appropriately. I found it really, really difficult and I ended up kind of throwing my hands up and giving it to a friend. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Um, and I'm like, I have no idea. Uh, this is like me staring at myself in the mirror going, what do I need to fix? Um, and, but like, but I've also written chapbooks where I kind of went into it knowing that, you know, mm. for these 24 pages, like this chapbook is going to be like this EP, right. Or this right. Like, little mini album mm-hmm. is going to be about like this, this, this chapbook is about, you know, like a, a relationship and, a space it, this, this whole thing is going to be a space metaphor and um like because you know that's that was a big part of like i don't know that's just kind of that was a big part of the way that i interacted with this relationship mm-hmm. uh, was via space documentaries and um and that is how that is the language that is the language that i know how to express it with right mm-hmm. express those feelings with so so this chapbook is all about like Hubble and and quantum entanglement and love and heartbreak, for example. That's, that's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> is it? I don't know. Or is it totally cheesy? I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, that's like, it's like finding, and I, I feel like in doing, well, so there's, there are a couple of things that I, I would like to say about that. One <laughs> being that I, I feel like one of the one of the primary roles as a as a poet, and it, or maybe not necessarily roles, but one of the primary functions that a that a poet has, is the ability to find images and find language for things that people feel but don't have the vocabulary for. That yeah. like poets are the ones that come in and supply like oh. The image that you're looking for is like the image or the image that you're looking for in the devastation of your relationship with this person is actually quantum entanglement. Here you go. And they're like, oh, yeah. And that 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 beautiful moment when you're reading something and there's an image or a metaphor or something that is that that you come across and it it feels so true and so like so um endemic to how the world functions and you're like oh yes i've i've experienced this 
and this image is the thing I've experienced. And now that is going to be the sort of like callback image that I have for this thing moving forward is like, this is the framework that these emotions are like can grow around and I can organize and make sense about. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like when you're doing it, it's like, it's not, it's like those, and when you're doing it, that language and that image has become so entrenched in whatever that experience was that like, I feel like there's no other way to even talk yeah. about things, you know, without using, you know. Oh yeah. These, well, I mean like the, like in, the internal landscape for me has been, has become one of those major sort of like, I, f I feel like it was like, I, I had the moment where I essentially gave that vocabulary to myself, uh, which is a, a weird, a very weird experience, but that like, that has been this, like that callback for me that all so much, so much of the understanding of, of me and my emotional life and all these other aspects like orbit around that image of the internal landscape. Um, mm -hmm. And th it has shown up in a, a huge number of poems that I've written about that like that or either overtly or the sort of the sense of space that 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 image you're thinking about my internal landscape generates for me. It's like that has eked out into a tremendous amount of the work that I've, I've produced. Um, Wait, can you like speak a little bit more to that, like about your inter like your internal landscape, about kind of, yeah, like what does your internal landscape look like? And you know what, in when you said internal landscape earlier, I wrote down eternal landscape. Oh. Too, and I was like, hey. <laughs> anyway, you go. Okay. Um, so people who have listened to the to the podcast before, um, first of all, hello. Uh, second of all, I apologize that this will be the umpteenth time that you've heard me talk about this, but sorry, guys. <laughs> just roll with it. Um, so, my internal landscape is like somewhere is a mixture of like Wyoming, South Dakota, Badlands, Prairie. Um, oh, so it's, it's like a it's like a physical expression too. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. So mine personally is a physical expression. I've talked to a number of people, specifically on this podcast, um, and when I've posed to them this that question, I their uh, their responses have run the gamut. Um, so for me personally, it is a it is a physical landscape. Um, it is this is a huge, spacious expanse of essentially prairie land. Um, and depending on, I'm not sure what, but it shifts between, um, sometimes I'm the landscape itself. Um, sometimes I am walking through that landscape and sometimes I am watching sort of an avatar of myself walk through that landscape. So there's weird, yeah. weird levels of multi-distance that can happen, but it's, it's only ever one at a time. Um. And there is occasionally a small structure. Well, there's occasionally like two structures on this landscape. One is a sort of like fire pit, um, like old, old school, very like DIY fire pit with maybe like a log or two around it. Um, mm -hmm. And the other is like a very, very small room. I guess it'd be kind of like a bedroom um, mm -hmm. that is very uh, spartanly furnished there is uh, let me see if I can if I can see it there is a bed there is a window that is always half open there are like whitish curtains that are blowing in the wind um, there is a desk with a lamp and there might be a chair 
Um, and there is a door that leads to another sort of like compound. The other sort of, I guess, internal landscape vision that I have for myself is um, like out, out of this one room, there's a door that opens up to like all the other rooms of me. Um, kind of like the TARDIS. It's like you walk through this hall, you walk through this door and there's just, you know, like this other massive internal structure of just all the different mm -hmm. rooms that exist. Yeah. Um, I love the TARDIS, yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, so like that structure is only there occasionally. Um, mm -hmm. But it is as big as all of the, all of my internal rooms are, it is fully encompassed and dwarfed by the expansive prairie that feels like it is just kind of out and rolling on the inside of me. Um, oh my God, I, I totally get what you're saying, completely. And I think I have one too. Ooh, okay, well, I, I, totally guess, do. I guess this is a good, probably good way. I, I usually leave this towards the end of the podcast, but what the hell? Um, so yeah, so what's like, is, do you feel like yours is a, I mean, maybe not necessarily a prairie, but a similar, just like big open, yeah. big open landscape. It's a, totally. It's the desert. I've always oh, said that like, shit. yeah, I am a desert girl. I grew up in Southern California. Um, I've loved, and I, and I went to college in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mm. And, um, I, I, I love the desert. And, and I think it's because I, I think it's because it's part of like, it's part of my, 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 geography my, my biology you know like mm -hmm. i think i think our landscapes bake into who we are um and and the desert is where i go to feel like i am whole um mm. and in, whether it be in my head whether it be actually out there um but yeah it's it's this it's this open expanse it's this blue morning it's this uh yeah, it's this blue morning. It's the light. It's, it's, it's the change in that light. It's the way that huge expanse kind of shifts and changes throughout the day, mm -hmm. like, and and in both subtle and large ways. Like watching a thunderstorm come in from miles and miles and miles away, mm. sitting somewhere in Santa Fe, is one thing. And also like, and also like waking up, waking up with the sun and and just sitting on your like porch and just looking out onto all this dirt and shadow and trees and, and seeing like the little shifts in, in the movement and change as, as the day wakes up is like, you know, like it's like big and small and big and small and, and all of it matters. And I feel like I'm, yeah, internally, I feel like I'm constantly kind of walking through that space. That's, that's gorgeous. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah, I, I I love that you have like a face for giving that a name. I'm always like, you know, I, just, I feel like it's like this desert thing inside. <laughs> well, it was really weird. Like, there there's a much much longer story um, that kind of got me to the discovery of my internal landscape, which I won't say in the podcast. But if you like, if you want to chat about it uh, at another totally. point, I I will I will regale you with the the long story, but. Um, it was sort of, I guess the Cliff Notes version or Spark Notes version of it was that like I grew up um, like evangelical Christian, um, mm -hmm. and for Jesus, I guess about seven years, um, I was like adamantly and wholeheartedly Christian um, mm -hmm. 
to the point where I was thinking about going to school uh, for like Bible study and to become a youth pastor and all this stuff. Um, but uh, my relationship with God sort of imploded on itself. Um, and one of the main things was that he, uh, he was like presented to me as this, like the way, the, the night that I like became saved, quote unquote, um, yeah. God was, or Jesus was presented to me as, you know, like there's this hole in your heart or there's this hole in you and Jesus is the thing that fills it up. And like, I felt this hole in me. And from that point on until the end of my relationship with Christianity, I viewed that there was this, like the space that existed inside of me was a thing that needed to be filled. That it was like, there was was like a a missing puzzle piece that I was incomplete because there is this space in me. Um, And then like once I kind of ejected myself from Christianity, I was wondering about like, well, what, what is this, what is this space? What is this hole? And you know, like I, I hadn't dated, I hadn't had any romantic relationships the entire time I was a Christian. So I not intentionally, but kind of shortly thereafter, um, wound up in like my first major romantic relationship, um, Mm -hmm. which ended, uh, kind of suddenly at least, well, Looking back on it now, there was a very, like, I could have charted that, like, oh, okay, this is going to end soon. But in in the moment at the time, it totally blindsided me. Um, mm. But I thought that, like, oh, well, maybe maybe this type of relationship has been a thing that I've been missing. And maybe it's not the thing that, that fills up this space, but maybe it'll help. And, you know, like, it, it didn't. And um, there was maybe, how long ago? There was a handful of months, I think, after the after my um my ex broke up with me um i was wandering around uh baltimore like my neighborhood of baltimore um just kind of out on one of those aimless directionless walks that you know like i was dealing with a bunch of shit internally and emo- i was feeling a bunch of stuff emotionally and just started walking and wound up at a little like neighborhood park um and sat down on a bench and experienced I think maybe the closest that I will ever get to maybe to what enlightenment feels like. Um, Cause as, as I was on this walk, the thing that kept preoccupying me was the idea that um, if there is anything that I view as being lost or like anything that I view as missing as a part of myself, it does not exist externally. Like it has to exist inside of me and, and therefore it's not missing or it's not like vacant, it's just misplaced or maybe undiscovered or maybe, you know, like whatever. It's like that, that any, if there's any missing things, it exists in me and I just have to find them. Um, and so I'm thinking about this, like this space that I felt in me that felt like a hole and, you know, it's like, well, if this is not necessary, if this is, maybe this isn't a hole, maybe it's, maybe it's just space. And if it's just space, then maybe it doesn't need to be filled. Maybe it needs to be explored and thinking about all this stuff. And I wound up at this little neighborhood park and I sat down on the bench and sort of like leaned back and looked up at the sky and immediately had this image of that, like on this huge, massive prairie, there was a version of myself sitting down on a log in front of like a fire pit doing the like leaning back and looking up at the sky and there is this amazing feeling of like complete connection with myself or this like this line that felt i mean i don't i've 
I don't know what it feels like to have all of your chakras aligned and open, but I can imagine that it feels like there's this like this perfect straight line that bisects you from like head to foot that it's just like, and it pulls taut and you're like, Oh, okay. But as yeah. soon as, as soon as I had that image, I like all of these pieces fell into place of like, Oh, the thing that I felt for years that was a hole is not a hole. It's just space and it's a yeah. massive amount of space and it's not a deficit and it's not a thing that needs to be fixed and it's not a thing that needs to be filled. It's just, it's a landscape and landscapes to be understood need to be explored and need to be like met where they are and, and lived in. And that right. was that like that, that fundamentally mm -hmm. changed so, so much of like how I viewed myself, how mm -hmm. I viewed art. Um, it was like shortly kind of around, or was, I guess around that time that I realized that I was um, gender void and that explained a whole bunch, like the, the the feelings of space that I felt between like me and gender and all this stuff. I was like, oh, this is, a, this is the, like the gender manifestation of the massive fucking space that's inside of me. I'm gender void. Mm -hmm. Okay, well that, make, that, like, that makes sense. Um, and like the way that I view it, like the, when you were talking about watching a, um, a storm move across the desert, um, I use my internal landscape as a way to, to sort of deal with my like emotions that for me emotions are, are like weather that happen in that landscape oh so good yeah because it's um, and there's this weird sort of objectiveness that I can have with it that I can see that it's it thing, it, things that are happening to me that will pass at some point and it's just you know, like if I'm sad or depressed or if I'm moving through, you know, like a period of depression or period of sadness or grief or whatever, I can view it as like, oh, you know, it's rain and it will rain until it stops raining and then it will stop raining. And then, you know, another weather function or another system will move through and it'll be different, um, which I think has helped me. I think that I'm uh, naturally predisposed to depression, but it has helped the uh i guess like the episodes that i've had not be tremendously severe because i can kind of maintain the uh, the, uh, the distance and the objectivity that it will end that is as wow. shitty as it feels and i i from other people that i've talked to with depression it's like that's that's a really one of the things that that is so difficult with depression is that when you're in it it's really hard to main to hold on to the connections that exist outside mm -hmm. of that sort of like that shadow and to, yeah, to have that totally. the sort of recall of like oh I've gone I've been through this before, and it has stopped, but right now it feels eternal. Like for me, because it doesn't feel like it's happening to me, it's something that I'm like watching happen, like on a landscape. I'm like oh okay, it's raining, I will get rained on, I'm gonna be oh, wet, yeah. I will probably be cold and probably be be miserable for a while, but you know like, rain ends, and it will move yeah. on. Um, and you've explored that internal landscape and you've walked through that internal landscape so many times that you know that that rain will move on, you know? Yes. Like, yeah. And it's, 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 it, it took that exploration. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's always been, it's not, it's not a question of like, uh, yeah. It, and it's, it's more at that point, it's just a, a sort of question of like, you know, can I, can I tolerate being wet for as long as it will rain? Because I don't know when it will stop. I just kind of know it will. And then, you know, it's just a matter, at least for me personally, it's just kind of a matter of enduring, you know, like, oh, okay, I'm going to be 
really low energy and kind of moody and sad for, you know, we'll, what will probably be a couple of days, but I don't know. And then, you know, days, maybe a week or so later, it, it sort of lightens. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. you know, the sun's back out or it's just now overcast instead of raining. And I, yeah. I like, I can go, I can go to the grocery store again, or I can, I can make, make plans with friends because I want to see people now. Right. And understanding that, you know, like, and understanding that about yourself and kind of seeing yourself go through that over and over again, you start to see kind of the smaller nuance. Like, so I'm, I'm, I'm very pre, like I, I'm, I'm a huge depressive and, um, and yeah, understanding that about yourself and kind of seeing yourself go through that and go through those storms. Then you start seeing like, you know, like the, the little like umbrella that you might have left over there, like out of the corner of your eye, you yeah. start to see kind of the little, like the subtle, things that can help you get through and, and, and more markers of, of, oh, okay, we're at that stage of, of this storm. Right. Which means, like, like, do you ever get to a point where you're like, oh, I, I want to want now? You know, like, I've been depressed for three months, but, but this morning I realized that, that I want to want something. Whereas I, for the past three months, I, I haven't wanted nothing. I don't think that, aside from, like, one summer, my, my depressive episodes tend not to last months um ah. which is i i think i mean not i'm i'm grateful that the severity of the episodes that i have is is not really bad because like my, my brother also is is a depressive and his his have, have lasted um some of his have lasted long long times um and i like that amount of strain that it puts on a person is just like terrible and I'm I'm grateful that I don't have to go through that um yeah. I'm also like I don't I don't mean to like minimize like depression or you know, like mental illness and stuff and it's like if if people are listeners you know whoever if you're if you're going through something and you feel like you need help like I hope that you reach out and get help and be it like medication be it therapy be it um like you know whatever it is that you need to to do that, to feel like you can, to help get you through to the, to the end of it or to like the next moment that you can catch a breath, like, please do it and seek it out. Um, it's just in my own, in my own personal experience. And I think that, I think that I have probably, um, shouldered a little bit more than I should have shouldered myself. Um, because I've like I've never really been in in therapy, um, but like it it has gotten to a point in my life that I think that I probably should talk to some people or someone about some stuff that I'm going through. Um, mm-hmm. But I I don't know. It's just it's been so essentially maybe just that it's a habit that I've gotten to the point that's like I can I can endure a lot of things when it's me personally. Um, which is while it, while it is, is maybe not like super damaging to me, it also might not be the healthiest. And it's been, it's been, it's taken me a little bit to kind of figure out that line between like, okay, well, this is not doing a tremendous amount of damage to me, but it could also be doing less damage than it's doing right now. Um, you know, and that, you know, and like that, which helps us and that which hurts us is going to evolve as we do and as our kind yeah. of 
and as our you know and as the manifestations of our mental health does and you know um like i yeah i am i am a big strong healthy depressed person and i've i've done the therapy route i do the therapy route and i've but also like just having lived with having lived with my brain and having lived with like a neuroatypical gray matter is is just you you they become patterns they become patterns of your life you know it's not yeah. a, it's i don't i don't think depression is like a good thing or a bad thing i think it's it i mean it's a it, it sucks <laughs> but like <laughs> but it's 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 who it's it's there and it's something to be managed and it's Right. You know, I think once we start looking at it like, oh, it's a bad thing and I have to like get rid of it, then it just becomes a bad thing that will never go away. Right. And I, I think that I feel like there's a there's a, a shifting in perception of like mental illness as you know, like chronic diseases, that it's it's a thing that you can manage and in some cases oh, you can manage it to the point where like it's not a major factor in your life. It's like you can take medication, you can do, you know, whatever to, to get it to a point where like you are healthy and you are functioning and you might have flare-ups and the flare-ups will maybe need more attention, but by and large, you know, it's like you can live your life, um, you know, like with the, the impact that this thing has in your life being like minimum or as, as minimum as it can be. Um, yeah. Which is like, I think... I think a much healthier way to, to view it. Yeah. Like you said, it's like, it's not a thing that needs to be ended. It's a thing that needs to be like understood and then managed. And however it is that you manage it, that, that keeps you and your insides healthy and functioning, mm -hmm. you know, do it. Like I, I've, when I am not super physically active, um, I'm much more given to, um, depression and like though my mm -hmm. i can feel maybe not like episodes happen more often but like the state in which i guess talking about like poetry being sort of a state of existence i feel like depression can get that way for me sometimes too that like if i'm not exercising or if i'm not eating as as healthy as healthily as i should um i'm kind of priming myself to being more susceptible to those to those states um yeah which absolutely which is another thing that like it took me a while to realize of, like oh because for a while um for many years ariel was really kind of the the most the most physical activity that i would i would have um i recently started rock climbing again um okay. and it's been it's been so much i can i feel so much like better in my body um mm. And I can, I can tell when I'm like, oh, okay, I have eaten like shit this week, and I feel internally like shit. There's probably a direct correlation between these things, and like being able to get to the point of like, oh, okay, this is a, actually a thing that I need to like be be vigilant about. Yes. Um, totally. You know, it's funny. Like I, I, I have. I have this really. I'm, I'm such a terrible exerciser. Oh, let me just say that right now. I just, get back like, into circus arts. Get back yeah, into like, circus I'm arts. I'm like, why am I running? Nobody is coming after me. <laughs> I am not. You know, this is just my cortisol levels are going up, and I just don't know why. Um, no, but like, I think that like, um, wait, hold on. Why was I rambling about that exercise? 
Ah, shit, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, there's something about, like, that really, uh, you know what? Let's skip over this because I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be searching and I won't remember. <laughs> well, I would, I would like to say something about running, um, if I may. Okay. I, all of, well, maybe not all of my life, but the majority of my, my adult life, I have desperately wanted to be a runner, and I, I think that I finally kind of come to terms with the fact that I just can't be. I just, I can't, I can't do it. I really want to be, and I just can't. And like, I hate running on treadmills, running outside. I can always usually find an excuse to not do it. Um, and that was also a, a major thing for me of figuring out like, what physical activity would I want to do to the point of where I would feel upset if I can't do it. Um, and like aerial is definitely one of them. And I, I've tried traditional gyms. I've tried extra, like working out and doing stuff on my own, and it just doesn't work. And that's like, I, I was, I rock climbed a little bit before moving to Baltimore for my MFA. So I like had a little taste of it. And uh, January, I guess February, I started climbing again, and it has mm-hmm. since become a thing of like I actively want to do this. Like I want to go to the gym multiple times a week and climb because it's fun and it's a thing that like. I it I gravitate towards and I could I I can't I couldn't do that at a gym. I can't lift weights. I can't do cardio shit cuz it's I don't yeah. I don't know what it is, but it just it feels anathemistic to me and I'm just like I don't cuz I had a I had a gym membership for all of like 2 months and then I realized like, "Oh, I really hit gyms. I don't want to do yeah, this." Yeah, they make it really hard for you to cancel those things. Yes. I still have a gym membership. I don't think I've been in like 2 years. <laughs> are you planet fitness um Ugh. but whatever take my money i guess yeah but yeah no i, I totally agree like it's, it's it's really hard to just like go in there it's just like it's like i'm moving but why you know yeah. whereas with ariel or with dance it's like i'm moving and i'm expressing something yes i'm moving and i'm creating yes right yes and yeah. uh, there's a um there's a, a really dear poet friend of mine uh tracy diamond who i actually i think was maybe my first or second guest. It was. I think she was my second guest. Um, cool. But she is a poet. She is also a aerialist. Um, she does. I think she's gravitated towards um, Lyra and Stripey Loops. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe Sling. Maybe I think she's mm-hmm. done a couple. Regardless, that like she views um, like aerial as kind of part of her poetic practice. Um, which is a really like amazing thing to think about using, like using your body and the shapes that your body creates in the placements of your body, just in an, in space and in relationship to the Lyra as expressions of poetry and not, not the way of like, Oh, this is, you know, like a, a really good athlete is like, Oh, this is poetry emotion, but actually like with intention of this is a poem you know yeah yeah and 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 yeah and and kind of going back to that conversation about like earlier we had about like transitions and like yes and just kind of the body as a structural form and mm-hmm. and um and i think i mentioned earlier that like i you know i was at this kind of this rope studio and this performance and and i was watching two of my friends um kind of do a rope demonstration and a suspension demonstration and the way the one friend was kind of doing the 
the ties and and slowly kind of working the other friend into these different positions and and then she would like pull one rope in a certain way and then the, the other friend's body would just like flip and into this different angle altogether and it was it's it was like watching a sculpture it was like watching it just the human body as this form yeah um, and also being just this very like intimate vulnerable you know like like fleshy human contact thing um it was just i i don't know like it's it still lives with me i've, I've been thinking about it every day since like it's just so wow. great yeah yeah but yeah just like it, it, it's both it's like it's like form and content it's like structure mm-hmm. it's like craft and you know it's like craft and 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 the poetics of it like i i love it <laughs> okay fine I'm, I'm i'm going back to i'm going back to aerial art i will let you know how that goes yes. <laughs> um okay so i have I have two questions for you. Okay. Um, sure. I will have probably some more questions for you later, but I have two questions for you right now. Um, okay. One of them is, so you, you have said that you got your master's in film studies, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or film, I don't know, not, maybe not necessarily the study of, whatever, film, whatever. <laughs> um, <clears throat> do, you, do you see any, like, cross-pollination or cross-influence of your cinema studies in your poetry or vice versa? Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, totally. Um, I think, like, I think it's the way... <clears throat> I think it's about... Like, I think there's a similarity in, um, in translating... That's sight again. It's like translating vision, translating sight. Mm-hmm. You know, taking something, um, and 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 specifically, like I'm a producer, so I. Um, yeah, um, I wanted to yeah. ask. So I I understand producers as far as like in the music industry, but I've never really gotten a good sense of what a producer does in either radio or like film. So like, could I'm probably interrupted you right before you were going to say what it is the producer does but would you would you mind like just explaining that to me because i i don't i don't yeah just if you would i would i would appreciate an explanation oh totally um i kind of like i i see the role of the producer as kind of synonymous with the project um it changes a lot like the the title producer is used a lot in you know, we use a lot now as like, oh, you know, this guy donated the, or this guy invested a whole bunch of money. So he's he's an executive producer now. So mm-hmm. there's that. But also, you know, the producer role at its, at its essence, I think, is synonymous with the product, the film, the piece. Right. So it's like the person that takes um, the person that takes this this idea or this story or this script or this book or 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 this or this incredible writer or this incredible director and like takes that and and turns and, and that esoteric amazing thing whatever that is and mm-hmm. turns it into something tangible um and yeah something tangible that that can be shared and seen and felt so it's like it's almost it's a weird way to say that like because I, when i think about producing i also think about like i'm sitting here like doing like budgets and like excel sheets and talking to agents and um you know and and working out like percentages and and thinking about like film commissions and permits and and unions and you know there's all of that right and fundraising 
But then there's also kind of added, what I love about it is that I am doing that in service of, of taking the intangible and taking the feeling and, and making and creating this world and creating this experience and this, this, this thing for somebody else to go, Oh shit, I've felt that way too. Okay. Um, So would it be, would it be a fair analogy to say that a producer, maybe not all of the time, but like generally would be a sort of, sort of combination of like a film administrator and like a project manager. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, kind of. Okay. And also, but, but, but not without, but not without a creative involvement, you know, I think an effective producer has to love that movie. And, um, and, and a lot of creative development, a lot of kind of nurturing of your your collaborators and a lot of understanding their language. Like you have to, I mean, I think as a producer, you have to understand, you know, your director's vocabulary, how that translates into your cinematographer's vocabulary, because it's going to be different, even though they say it's the same. And, um, <laughs> but, you know, it's just, it's, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's, so you like it. So you are like almost a in that sense like a facilitator. Like you would mm-hmm. you would be the the like creating the space for like the director or or the like the cinematographer or the scriptwriter or you know whatever to like to be like in collaboration with each other. Right, right. And also okay. to be in collaboration with them. So it's like, you know, you want you want to and it's like you want to and that goes back to kind of collaborating and, and, and teamwork and all of that. It's like you're also the person that holds that family together, um, mm-hmm. you know, and makes sure everybody's on the same page and and makes sure that, like, you are so intertwined with the film and the story that you're telling that you can do everything kind of in service of the story. Like, you're at the end of the day, I think you're holding space and you're nurturing, uh, you know, these other creatives because you're nurturing the the story that needs to be told or the feeling that needs to kind of become, you know? Right. Yeah. So I guess in in that sense we could kind of draw that back to like the role of a, I mean, for us specifically for a, a poet, but like in the greater art world, artists kind of in general of the, like doing what you can do to shepherd the thing that like the autonomous creative entity creative mm-hmm. presence or whatever experience to where it ultimately wants to be. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of poetic in a way. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for that explanation. That, that makes, that makes a lot more sense now as before when I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Like I just, it was, it was this weird sort of like nebulous, just have you ever read um, American gods? Uh, I have not. Okay. There is a deity in that in American Gods um, that whenever someone talks to that deity, they mm-hmm. forget, like, a mortal. Whoever, whenever, like, a, a normal, a normie talks to that person or that, that entity, that deity, whatever, they instantly forget that they talked to them. So they just sort of mm-hmm. occupy this weird nebulous space that's like, you can, you can kind of remember something, but you don't really know what it was. That's what a, that's the that's the mental space that producer like the term producer occupied in my head is this like I, 
I think I, like, I, I know that I've heard it explained to me before, but I just don't, it's like, it's not, it's not sticking, but that sticks. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Thank you. I had a, I had a screenwriting teacher tell me once, she's like, you know, like, 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 what does a chair maker do? They make chairs. Like, what does a producer do? They make movies. Like, <laughs> you take the chair you produce. from, like, pieces of wood, then you put it together, then you make sure the chair is, is, is sturdy and works and people can sit in it without, like, breaking their butts. Mm-hmm. And then you make it, make sure it looks good. You make sure it it's it's well, I don't know, sanded and painted. And you make sure it's marketable and sellable as well. Like, you, you are in charge of, like, making that chair go out into the world. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. Which would make... I mean, that analogy works well for me because I, I work at a cabinet shop. Um, right. I, make, I make cabinets. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not so much on, like, the selling end of things, but on the, like, the, the physical producing side of things. That makes right. a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And my second question um, mm-hmm. is, do you want to talk about uh, your big barrel house announcement? Oh my God! Um, <laughs> you don't. You don't have to if you don't want to. I just. I figured that this would be because it it dropped recently. This would be a space if you would like to utilize it to talk about it. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I. You know, the first thing I was like, oh my God, dude, it sent me to bed with anxiety. <laughs> it totally like it totally sent me to bed that day. Like I was like, okay, put it on social media, and then and then my friend started like calling and like and, and I was just like, okay, just off your phone a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um it's 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 amazing it's i mean like like i said before like i went to i went to college for creative writing i i majored in um in in uh, with an emphasis in poetry and creative nonfiction, and and then and that was eons ago um and then i and then i went straight to grad school and i i just for like the next decade and a half almost I didn't write anything I didn't write a single poem oh damn I didn't write yeah I didn't write an essay I didn't I didn't read much like I didn't do any of that and um and it was all movies and 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 entertainment law and um and and just kind of facilitating filmmaking and and which was you know a whole different kind of expression and creation that was that was great too and I think ultimately it, it added to my practice but like yeah, I did nothing of that. I, no writing for over a decade. And then I landed back in San Francisco or in the Bay Area after kind of after filmmaking broke my heart. You know how they say, like, you know, find what you love and let it kill you. Do not do that. <laughs> like, why would you do that? Like, don't do that. Don't let it kill you. Then you won't love it. And then you won't want to do it. And then well, anyway, yeah, so, you'll uh, be you'll be dead. Yeah, you'll be dead. <laughs> <laughs> and so. Yeah, and and when I landed back here, it was kind of I was in this nebulous space of like, what am I now? And and then just a weird sequence of events happened, and I, I started writing again um, in I don't know like 2016. Um, and um, and these poems, like I never thought that like I would. It was always kind of a dream and a wish that I would have a book put together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never thought that I never thought that anybody else would want to read it or put it out into the world. Um, so it's just kind of just like, are you sure? Like, <laughs> like, did you read it? Like, do you need to read it again? Maybe like we can, you know, like because because it's okay. Like, it's okay if you change your mind. <laughs> like, I get it. I get it. Um, 
trust me, I've lived all of that stuff. I get it. Um, but like, but it's 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 incredible, and it's I I I, I I'm stuttering because that is just how I feel about it. <laughs> um, it's 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 at once the most. I feel like I am. I feel like I want to like fly, and I also feel like I want to hide. Um, I want to get. I want to show people what I've written, and I want to share those things. And also, I'm terrified about sharing those things. Um, yeah, I f I feel like. I feel like more often than not, at least in my life, the like the excite that excitement and that terror are intrinsically paired with each other. Yeah. That it's it's never it's never the one or the other. It's always both. That it's like yeah. oh I want it's like this is so fucking cool. I want to do this thing, and I'm scared to fuck about it. But uh, you know. Yeah, it's like how can I not? How can I not? It's gonna be oh, yeah. yeah. Which I guess is like it's a weird that. That was not a complete sentence. Um, it is interesting to me that that energy can manifest. That like that the energy is the same whether it's excitement or terror. It's just that it, depending upon how it manifests, it's either excitement or terror. But that that sort of like the the ricocheting and building up of that internal energy that you know it's like you get the the vibrations that like Kramer uh, from Seinfeld when he's like super excited that's what I think about whenever I, I think of like the excitement and the terror is that them them it's this it's it's the same source but it's just depending okay. upon if it pops up on the left side or on one side it's excitement if it pings on the other side it's it's terror and if it vents both at the same time then you know it's both right. at the same time it's like pain and pleasure yeah, yeah. totally um yeah completely and it's it's yeah i just i i i i've been walking around the past couple of days just kind of oscillating between like oh god oh god oh god and oh god oh god oh god but in like different, different pitches different pitches <laughs> but like I'm, I'm super excited to to start that process of, you know, working, working with Barrel House and kind of starting that editorial process. And, and I'm super excited to like, to see what the editors pull from the manuscript and, you know, and how they see what I put on paper, you know, kind of going back to that idea of like sight and translation, like, yeah. you know, like, what did you guys see here? Like what, you know, like, did I, is it what I was seeing? Yeah. Or does that matter? Like what, you know, I don't know, I'm stoked. <laughs> and then I, and I feel like those, those moments of, I guess like going back to the, like the, the first thing that we talked about, the, the, the synchronicity that like in, in the best version of this, the, the editors and the designers that you will be working with will see the things that you saw in it or see mm -hmm. the, like the, a version or like a, a snippet of a thing or like they'll see a more complete thing of the snippet that you saw and can draw it more fully out into like form and into light and into existence. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I can't, I just, I can't wait. <laughs> I cannot wait. And like, you know, like I, I, I believe, I believe it so much of, um, I, I, I think that, yeah, I think a big part of our art is is in the revision, you know, mm -hmm. is in the yeah, like radical revision, man. Like let's cut it down to the root and like it just 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 make yeah, um, <laughs> and and shape and and bring back or take away and 
and I just yeah the idea of the you know the the statue already being in that hunk of marble um I hope that I don't know it's I, I don't know it's my first book I cannot believe I have a book coming out <laughs> that's so exciting that's so fucking cool <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope, I hope I don't, I hope I don't disappoint anybody. (laughs) I don't, I I don't know. I, I, I feel like I, well, no, I was going to say, I don't think I've ever been disappointed by a collection of poetry, but there have been a couple, but they've been written by old white men. So I think that you're probably (laughs) okay. (laughs) Thanks. Well, I mean, you know, maybe I am an old white man. Oh. <laughs> really, uh, uh, about about this podcast. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, if you if you're an old white man that is that is dedicated to like radical vulnerability and radical revision, then you you might be okay. You might be one of the the old white men that fall into like the good <laughs> the good column, one of the good guys <laughs> column. Um, awesome, like Santa. Well. I mean, but you don't, you don't know, you don't know what, what labor laws he has on the books with those elves. That is so true. I don't know. Like someone, someone that is that altruistic. I feel like there's like that. Something doesn't sit right about that with me. Okay, fine. Let's see. What are they? I mean, what are you doing? No, no, I'm not an old white man. What are we doing here? <laughs> oh, goodness. I guess. Thank you so much for the kind words. And, and yeah, I just, I'm, I'm very excited. Well, I mean, it's also like, I feel, I feel like a test, like the things that I've seen that have come out of Barrel House have been really fucking good. So the fact that, that they chose your work I feel like means that your work is on par and on level with those things. So I have complete, I have like, like tacit trust that like not only your work, but whatever book that they, that they create from your work will be stellar. Barrel House is so cool. I know. I was just like, I went to their website and I just, I screen grabbed their mission statement. (laughs) Look at this. This is, I'm so happy they like me. <laughs> um, I just, it's, it's, I just, yeah, it feels really great. And, and I'm totally geeking out right now. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I, I feel like we were probably in the, towards the end of the recording. Um, so since I asked, asked, uh, already one of the traditionally last two questions of the podcast earlier in the podcast, um, I will ask you the traditional last question that I ask in the podcast, which is, do you have any questions for me? Yeah, I do actually. Okay. Uh, where, like, I feel like, I feel like we like met on, on Facebook or Instagram or like what, you know, like, cause I think when you asked me to do the podcast, you, you, I didn't have a book out. I didn't, you know, like I didn't know I would have a book out. I didn't. <laughs> Where, where, like, where, where'd you find me? I, you know, I was actually thinking about this earlier in the week. Um, just like in thinking about recording this weekend and then thinking, it's like, oh, how did, like, I, I enjoy 
after like a thing or an, an event or something happens, sort of like backtracking to, to see what winds up being a pretty straight line that at the time feels like not a straight line at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I was trying to think through like how, like, wh- like how did that happen? And I really yeah. do think that you were either, I don't know if you were like a suggested follow on Instagram or if it was, like, I honestly don't remember the first content of yours that I found, but I, like, I found your Instagram account and found out or discovered you were a poet, and then you just seemed like you were a really fucking cool person. And I was like, I want to talk to them about poetry. They seem like they'd, they'd be on, <laughs> on board with that. Um, That's so cool. Which has been, like, so the other people who have listened to this podcast before again we'll have probably heard this spiel many times um but the whole the whole reason that i started the podcast was that once i graduated from from the my mfa um Mm -hmm. i was sort of in a glut of like interesting conversations with people um because after class you know like we uh we would go en masse to a bar or something and just hang out for a couple hours and dissect or discuss what we talked about in class, you know, just whatever we were reading, poetry, you know, just like big, big idea type things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had maybe a year or so and I was like, I have not had a conversation like that in a long, long fucking time. Um, so the podcast was essentially a way for me to talk, to have those types of conversations with people that I either hadn't had a conversation like that in a while, um, or had never had never gotten a chance to have that type of conversation with, um, and so once I started kind of making it through my my rounds of friends from the MFA program, I was like, oh, there are tons of other poets that exist out there that I would love to have these types of conversations with, um, and it really was just starting to like try to track down poets that I either read and really enjoyed the th- the stuff that they had had written or poets that I had just sort of encountered that given whatever way I'm encountering them that I had seemed like really cool, interesting people. Um, and I just started making a list and I've been kind of working my way through that list. Um, that is so dope. I think that's so cool. You know, like it's like, it, uh, yeah, well, I mean, number one, Hey, go social media. <laughs> um, and like too, like I, I, I too miss that. I, I miss talking process and 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 intention and the artist's role. And I and I miss breaking down lines, you know, and then fighting over like the beauty of the line versus the beauty of the image, yada yada, right? <laughs> and, and wearing like patches on my elbows. And um and like, yeah, this is so fun and this is so great. And I, I think it's I I think it's super cool that like I don't know, like you reach out to people that are both that are both published and established and 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 like just kind of Instagram emotional vomiters like I am. <laughs> well, yeah, because like I don't like just because I don't know, like I, I, I really enjoy talking at with people with poets specifically at sort of like all stages of, you know, of their creative life, because I've talked to two of two of my friends um like recently or this was maybe a year or so ago at that point had just recently started like begun writing poetry um and one is the partner of a, of a poet and a memoirist and one has been writing creative nonfiction for years 
So it was really interesting getting their perception or their, um, yeah, I guess their perception of stuff that like being at the stage that they are now in their life, but being relatively new to poetry versus people that have been writing for, you know, fucking years that have had books published or people that have been writing for fucking years and have just like, they're right on the cusp apparently <laughs> of, of a, of their first full length collection. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think that there's, cause there's, there's value in, in all of those different places. I think that, you know, yeah. like, cause like you said, so much of poetry is about seeing. And I think so much of these types of conversations are really about like how people view and experience and sort of exist in the world and in their art um, and wherever, wherever it is that you are on that trajectory, um, there are always other people out there on that trajectory or will be on that trajectory at some point. And I think that, there, you yeah. know, it's like it's it's valuable to have people that are old hats and people that are fresh at things and people that are in the middle, you know, just like continually slogging through stuff to to give to voice their um their experiences and have them be sort of, I don't know, like guideposts for other people that are, that are working through stuff or totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's like how many books have I, like how many poets have I, I, I pulled out a bunch of like poetry books, um, kind of in prep for this. And I'm just like, Oh my God, like there are poets and books there that I'm just like, these people have saved my life. Yeah. You know, and these people have like put words to feelings and places that I have, that in looking for a way out or looking for those words to help me through yeah. and um and yeah i just it's I, last you know last night a poet saved my life is like one of my favorite like things um so yeah no go poetry man yes oh yeah <laughs> did you have do you have any, any other questions for me or was that was that the big one um, that was a big one. I'm like, Hey, where'd you find it? <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was Instagram, which I like, I know that Instagram is owned by Facebook now, which bums me out. But as far as like social media outlets go, um, I feel like Instagram feels so much like so much more open and so much more spacious and so much, at least in my experience, like kinder than all, yeah. <laughs> all of the rest of the social media things that are out there put together. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, agree. I agree and I think people like put a little bit more thought into kind of like using Instagram as like an, a creative platform like like everybody does I think like they, they curate it a little more you know yeah and I, like at least in my experience it, from the stuff that's in my feed and I don't I don't know if it's just that I've I've unconsciously curated my feed to have this but it feels like it's usually really unbridled enthusiasm about stuff you know, it's like right, someone yeah. someone takes a picture of a, I don't know, a moth, and everyone's like, "That's a that's fu that's rad, that's a cool moth." I don't know what type of moth that is, or you know, like just a heart, or mm -hmm. like there's it's just it feels like there's there's so much more positive responses to people's expression, um, totally on Instagram, and and so much of a of a reduction of the the desire or the the tendency to like argue or to to be, I don't know, because like I've seen like Facebook threads that are just vitriolic, and like Twitter oh. like threads that are just terrible. Um, yeah. And I know they exist on Instagram, and I've seen like 
snap like screen caps of stuff on Instagram, but it it feels like it, there is it feels like there's less of a tendency for people. It seems like there is less of a tendency for that type of interaction on Instagram. Um, Agreed. Agreed. I don't really know yeah. why though. Do you do you have any any thoughts as to why you think that is? Aside from oh. things being maybe a little more consciously curated. I, yeah, I, I think it's because I mean maybe it's that people see. I think people see Facebook as like a forum, right? Mm. As, you know, like ye old public <laughs> and um, or posting board or whatever, right? And mm-hmm. it's like These an are old, my an old like BBS board. system. Yeah, and it's like like these are my opinions and um if you have anything to say say them and i'm gonna yell at you right in public right and mm-hmm. and i think instagram is more like i don't know like this is my expression and this is my feeling and this is and like you said like this is a cool thing that i saw and this is and here is my response to it and it's almost i don't know i, I think there are there are instagram moments that are like very ecrastic i guess in that sense mm. or like yeah, I think it's like a weird, it, it, and it can be a really weird collaboration too, right? So like you're looking at somebody else's art, like you're like, oh wait, cool, like I'm gonna repost that onto mine, and then I have this whole like, and then I have this like all this like ramble about it that, you know, turns into something else later. I don't know, like I feel like Instagram has a little bit more of that spirit, um, which is wait, I know we're talking about Instagram, but I just I just really want to say I'm not an Instagram poet. Um, <laughs> can we can we just put that there? Like oh Instagram yes. Instagram is just like my journal like i'm just like blah 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 hey look at this picture yes you you phone. are you are a poet who utilizes instagram and that is how <laughs> i found you you are not a a instagram poet yes i that is that is a meaningful distinction that should be made <laughs> yes i hope nobody goes like looking for like you know like i, I don't know I, i'm not let's not go there <laughs> okay yeah i like i i have a lot of conflicting feelings and thoughts about like the Instagram poetry movement. Um, and I, I feel like there's been maybe one or two episodes that's just been just like one of the just me episodes of So Poetry that I've, I feel like I may have talked about it, but I like, I, I resist the, I'm resisting the urge to, to get into it now because I don't, I don't think that my thoughts are formed enough for me to make an opinion that I'm willing to like stand by yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I have I have feelings about Instagram poetry. Me too. We should <laughs> totally like we should totally like just do some brainstorming around that because like I have feelings too and they are conflicting feelings. Yeah. Right yeah. 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 Okay, yeah, we so we yeah, we'll we'll we put a pin on that one. Yeah. That'll be yeah. Yeah. Um and on, <laughs> on that note, um, I think that this was a this is a wrap on uh, episode seven. Um, thank oh. you, so, thank you so much, Christine, for for talking with me today. This has been an absolute blast. Um, yeah, this has been so much fun, dude. Thank you for having me. Like, yeah. I I'm so honored, and and this has been so wonderful and so like inspiring, and and I I'm, I'm I'm stoked on. <laughs> I'm stoked on poetry right now. I'm stoked on words, but like, I just want to like sit down and write a bunch after this. That's, that is fantastic. I, I think that I don't, I don't know if anyone has expressed that reaction to doing one of these recordings with me, but that is so far the best reaction that someone has, has expressed to me. Um, oh, you said so many cool things. I've been sitting here like writing things down as you've been talking. <laughs> I'm like, Ooh, please. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, I've, yeah I, I have. I have my my little phrase book too. Um, oh, this, yeah, I'm so glad that we finally got a chance to to do this. This has been so much fun. Yeah, let's do it again. <laughs> I, I, the last episode that I did was uh, what turned out to be a part one of a part two that will be recorded in the future. But I would, I would love to either have you back on the podcast at some point or just have another Skype conversation with you unrecorded. Um, yeah, totally. But um, is there any, any final thoughts that you'd like to leave the, the listenership with? Um, oh, my gosh. Don't put me on the spot like that. Uh, <laughs> I have to put you on the spot at least once. I mean, I read your bio. There has to be one moment. <laughs> uh, last thoughts. Um, I don't know. Like, I just think, I mean, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> like, thank you people for being people. And thank you for putting up with my ass. And thank you for... <laughs> <laughs> I just... Like, I don't know. Like, I just, I just, every day I just want to be like, hey world, uh, thanks for putting up with me. I think, I think that's a good, I think that's a good way to end it. Um, (laughs) So yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank Thank you.